0: Exodus 21, we have got a lot to cover tonight, so we are going to jump in quick and try to get it done. We're going to, we're going to read a lot of verses, uh, Exodus 21, verses 12 through uh, 36, or maybe we're not going to read as many verses. We'll see what we do though. We won't, do a, we won't do an expository teaching on each individual verse, but we do need to see uh, what it's talking about. So let's pray, and we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I pray that you would help me to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to be beneficial. God, we want to learn your word. We want to get your word. We want to see how it speaks to us, uh, both how you uh, spoke to the Israelites, but but what do we do with these words today? How do we follow them? Do we follow them in the same way, dear Lord? Help us to, to be able to discern and understand your word. Uh, through the teachings of these words that we read tonight and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that you would uh, be with us as we read these words. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. These uh, are, are, are the laws uh, talking about personal injury and, and and what should be done to a person uh, if they are to cause personal injury or an animal they uh, uh, own is to... Uh, uh, does personal injury to someone else. Verse 12, "'Whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But if he didn't intend any harm, and yet God caused it to happen by his hand, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. If a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him, you must take him from my altar to be put to death. Whoever strikes his father or his mother must be put to death.'" Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession. Whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or his fist, and the injured man does not die but is confined to bed, if he can later get up and walk around outside leaning on his staff, then the one who struck him will be exempt from punishment. Nevertheless, he must pay for his lost work time and provide for his complete recovery. When a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under his abuse, the owner must be punished. However, if the slave can stand up after a day or two, uh, the owner should not be punished because he is the owner's property. When men get in a fight and hit a pregnant Uh, Woman, So that her children are born prematurely But there is no injury No one who hit her must be Excuse me The one who hit her must be fined As the woman's husband demands from him And he must pay according to judicial assessment If there is an injury then You must give life for life Eye for eye Tooth for tooth Hand for hand Foot for foot Burn for burn Bruise for bruise Wound for wound When a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his tooth. When an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox must be stoned and its meat may not be eaten. But the ox's owner is innocent. However, if the ox was in the habit of gorging, And its owner has been warned yet does not restrain it, and it kills a man or woman, the ox must be stoned, and its owner must also be put to death. If instead a ransom is demanded of him, he can pay a redemption price for his life and the full amount demanded from him. If it gores a son or daughter, he is to be dealt with accordingly to this same law. If the ox Uh, gores a male or female slave, he must give 30 shekels of silver to the slave's master, and the ox must be stoned. When a man uncovers a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit must give compensation. He must pay money to its owner, but the dead animal will become his. When a man's ox injures his neighbor's ox, and it dies, they must sell the live ox and divide its proceeds. They must also divide the dead animal. If, however, it is known that the ox was in the habit of gorging, yet its owner has not restrained it, he must compensate fully ox for ox. The dead animal will become his. Now that's some pretty uh, interesting stuff that we look at there. Now God is giving uh, the people of Israel these laws, these instructions about how they should live. Uh, We will talk about this passage similarly to the way we talked about the passage last week. We talked about slavery last week and that God uh, had an allowance there. He even gave instructions on how the slaves were supposed to be treated, on how foreigners were supposed to be treated. But does God still intend for us to have slaves today? Well, I don't believe so. There may be some Christians who believe that, but I personally believe that, that that is not God's intent. Here we come across more difficult verses, not just here, but in the rest of the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We see these, these mentions of, of putting people to death for simply uh, mistreating their parents. Uh, uh, we see many things in Scripture, a, a few here, which God says to put that person to death. Those who have committed adultery in the Old Testament were to be put to death. The homosexual in the Old Testament was to be put to death. Now, there are plenty of examples that we see. So what do we make of these texts and the law? How do we handle these things as Christians living now? Are we bound to the law that we follow these things? Golly, I sure hope not because I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to go out and have to take the life of an adulterer or to take the life of a homosexual. Although some may argue that we need to to, to live out the law in the same way, I don't believe that that is the case. Now, God gives these commands and God gives these laws, not just concerning people, but also concerning how, how people are to deal with their animals. It's very practical advice. That is, if your animal is, is, is known for being bad and causing trouble uh, to the point of harming people and you don't do anything about it and your animal kills someone, then you are guilty of, of that. You should have done something about it. That's very practical advice. If, if something happens and it's an accident and you accidentally kill someone, then the punishment is different than if it's premeditated murder. Now, God spells out many different details As to how the Israelites are to live. Now, I believe that that is important because think of where the Israelites came from. They were slaves, they were not a nation who were on their own like the other nations. They probably didn't have a system of how to live or know how to live or what to do. I believe that the Israelites needed this law. They needed this guidance. They needed this instruction from the Lord so that they would know how to live, so they would know how things needed to be carried about, so there would be a standard they could go by uh, when people did wrong. And so God gives them uh, many instructions uh, to go by. But We also need to realize when God gives them these instructions is oftentimes he was trying to get them to not live sinfully. He didn't want them to live a life of sinfulness like the other nations. We see that throughout the Old Testament that God set apart Israel and that Israel was not supposed to be like the other nations. If you want to turn to Leviticus chapter 20, you can Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Leviticus 20, verse 22. You are to keep all my statutes and my ordinances and do them so that the land where I am bringing you to live will not vomit you out. You must not follow the statutes of the nations I am driving out before you. "'For they did all these things, and I abhorred them. "'And I promise you, you will inherit their land, "'since I will give it to you to to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. "'I am Yahweh your God, who set you apart from the peoples.'" So the nation of Israel was to be set apart from the other nations. They were supposed to be looked at and be different than the other nations. Many of the other nations that the Israelites encounter as they go into the Promised Land do many detestable acts. They are worshiping many false gods. They are sacrificing children. Uh, They are sexually immoral in many different ways. And God is calling His people to a higher standard. He is spelling out His standard for them in the law. He is telling them what He is calling them to. And it was a very high standard. There were, there were very stiff penalties for some things that we may would look at and say are trivial. For example, one, one instance we talked about a few weeks ago was the man who was working on the Sabbath, who was gathering wood, and uh, God commo- commanded Moses and the people to kill this person. Now we would say, boy, that's a little harsh. God's word, God's law called for a very, very high standard. Now that's where it's good for us to think about Jesus Christ, to know that He fulfilled that praise the Lord for that, that we don't have to have to uh, follow the letter of the law, or else someone uh, may kill us. But God's law, God's commands in the Old Testament, uh, show us the way that God intends for us to live. We have much to learn from God's word. So what do we do with texts like these and the other texts that we see in the Old Testament? Are we to go out and start killing people? If we say, well, I'm, I, I want to live by the law, then, then we have to if we're going to be obedient to the law. So how do we make heads or tails with these things? And do we still uh, uh, live by these things today? What, what, what can we uh, take from the law and, and, and what do we do with the law? Well, we see in the Old Testament some of the examples uh, that I mentioned. Uh, Do we carry out the the law in the same way by putting people to death? Well, I would say absolutely not. Now, one thing that we see, I believe, from the law is the value of human life, that God greatly valued human life. You see that even before the law in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where he talks about if, if one man sheds another man's blood, then his blood should also be shed. Now, God holds a very high value of human life, a much higher value than many in our country and our world hold of human life today. Uh, I think that is evident by the, the fact of so many supporting uh, uh, abortion and not, not caring at all about abortion. There are some today who are, who are totally against the death penalty for those who have committed heinous crimes, but they are totally for abortion. And that's hard for me to wrap my head around our culture in that way. That's hard for me to wrap my head around that, uh, that, that people are so concerned for human life and they value the life of the one who has committed a heinous and horrible crime uh, so that their life may be spared, but they have, have, have no concern for the life in the womb that has done nothing wrong, that deserves every chance at life. And that kind of puts into perspective the value that our culture and our society and our world has on human life. We see, by God's word, based on the punishment. I think the severity of the punishment shows the significance of whatever it may be that God is talking about. There was severe punishment in the Old Testament for doing certain things. When you took someone's life, for instance... We know that that's important to God, and I believe that's something that is uh, still uh, is important today, uh, not because it's in the law, but because it came before the law. Even It shows the very heart of God and God's will and God's desire and God's value on human life. So we need to be prayerful when we, when we think about things like the death penalty, for instance. That's something as Christians we need to be prayerful for. We, uh, about we need to be in the Word. Uh, it's a very difficult topic. It's a very difficult uh, thing to think about what should we do or what should we not do. There are Christians who would fall on both sides. There are Christians who oppose the death penalty, and there are Christians who are for the death penalty. Now uh, That's a, a serious thing that we need to be in prayer about. So what do we do with these, with these instances that we see in Scripture? Same, the same sinfulness that we see in the Old Testament. Do we act in the same way? And is there any biblical precedent to say that, no, we don't have to act in the same way, that we are called to something better now? Well, I believe that there is in the New Testament. I, I believe that, that Jesus Christ himself shows us a better way in love. That even Paul shows us a better way in love. One of the examples that we've talked about is committing adultery. The punishment for committing adultery for both the man and the woman involved was to be put to death. So how would the New Testament deal with that? Is that what Jesus would command? Is that what Paul would command? Well, let's see. If you want to turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This passage has to do with a a woman who is caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now, let's keep in mind here about the Pharisees. They, they often didn't really care what Jesus had to say. They typically only wanted to, to, to make Jesus look bad. They wanted to catch him between a rock and a hard place. What was Jesus going to say? Yes, let's kill her on the spot. Or was Jesus going to say, well, don't kill her. Well, he was going to look like a bad guy if he said kill her on the spot, or he would look like one who, who upheld the law. But what if he said not to kill her? Well, then he would appear to be one who didn't uphold the law. So uh, the Pharisees, they they what is Jesus going to say? Will he say this? Will he say that? Well, their intent was not what Jesus really was going to say. Uh, their intent was to trip uh, Jesus up and to make Jesus look foolish. But as Jesus always does, he turns everything back around on them. <clears throat> Also, before we continue, it's important to note that they only bring the woman before Jesus. If you read in the Old Testament, it says that both the woman and the man are to be stoned, not just the woman. And so they weren't even fulfilling the law, in the letter of the law at least, uh, in themselves. Where was the man at that was committing adultery? Uh, Verse 4, "'Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman.'" So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Now this is a pretty powerful text. Uh, Can you imagine what must have been going through their minds there? Jesus didn't respond in any way the way that they thought he would. Instead, he begins with his finger writing on the ground. What was Jesus writing on the ground? We will never know. We can speculate. We can wonder. We can think. Perhaps he was beginning to write out the sins of the very people who were there. We don't know what Jesus was writing on the ground, but whatever he wrote had an impact in their lives and in their heart. So he begins to write in the ground, and he asks them the question Or or makes the statement, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, who in the crowd there was without sin? Well, that would be no one. None of the Pharisees who were bringing this woman to Jesus for condemnation were without sin. Let's read a little further in verse 8. And Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on do not sin anymore. So, how did Jesus deal with adultery? Did he stone the woman as the law stated? He did not. Instead, he showed love to her. He showed compassion to her. He showed grace and mercy to her. Now, what Jesus didn't do is he wasn't saying that that adultery was okay. Jesus never insinuated that. But what he did say is, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is showing us there that he has the power uh, to uh, forgive sins. He has the power to not condemn us if we come to him, if we ask for forgiveness of our sins. He didn't say, go on and do what you want to do. Instead, he said, go and sin no more. Now, that advice is good for us, too. We may be living in sin in our life, maybe now or maybe at some point in the future, well, just because we don't get struck dead on the spot doesn't mean that God is okay with our sin. Perhaps it's just God being patient with us. But God is not saying that our sin is okay. We should never, we should never mistake God's patience for God's approval. Jesus wasn't approving adultery here, but he was giving the woman another chance. Uh, the same that he has given you and I. Jesus could have condemned us or struck us dead years ago and never given us a chance. He could have not died on a cross for us, but he gives us the same grace and mercy that he gives to this woman. So do we always have to um, kill someone for our sinning in the same way just because the Old Testament says so? Well, I don't believe so at all, and I believe Jesus gives us the example for that right here. Well, what about Paul, another prominent person in the New Testament? If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 5. We just read this verse. It's been a while back, months ago, uh, but but we read it as we were going through 1 Corinthians, and Paul is dealing with an issue of uh, immoral uh, church member and some situations that are uh, going on there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. It is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife. Now, that's a pretty bold statement there. As we talked about uh, God's people in the Old Testament, that they were supposed to be separated, they were supposed to look different than the other nations. Well, so are we as Christians today. We are not Israel, but as Christians, we should look different than the rest of the world. And in this case, oh boy, this is a bad deal. That Christians, or those who profess to be Christians, were acting in a way that was so bad that not even non-Christians were acting. Not even unbelievers would be acting in this way and doing something so horrible. A man is living with his father's wife. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. They weren't dealing with the issue. They were putting up with it. It wasn't a big deal to them. It, it didn't appear, and Paul was getting on to them for that. For though I am absent in body but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus... With my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, that's pretty strong language there. So they, they, Paul tells them to, to deal with this person, to get rid of this person, to turn this person over to Satan. That's pretty strong language. But what he doesn't tell them to do is to stone him which is what the law would have commanded. Perhaps Paul is intending for this person to repent of their sinfulness. Perhaps he is saying, hand him over to Satan for a while in hopes that maybe he will turn his life around that maybe he will come out better by being tempted by Satan or by experiencing uh, this by the church, this type of treatment. One, he will see how severe it is, and perhaps in that, in his shame and in being turned over to Satan, he will repent and turn his life around. It's not uncommon for us to see in Scripture, uh, Satan try to have the best of someone, but ultimately if they are in Christ, if they are God's child, if they are faithful to the Lord, what the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good. Sometimes uh, the enemy may have his way with us, but usually uh, God can use that to build us up. For example, Job. Uh, Satan wanted a shot at Job because Job was a righteous man. He was a godly man. Well, even through all of that, as God allowed the devil to have his way with Job, uh, it come to Job's heart, it, it finally surfaced that there was some pride in Job's life. <coughs> Job came out of the end of the book of Job stronger than he was at the beginning through that temptation of Jesus Christ, or through that temptation, excuse me, of the devil through the power of the Lord who, who built him up and made him stronger. Uh, we see the same thing in the New Testament with uh, Jesus Christ and and uh, Peter that Jesus says, "Look, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that." Uh, well, let's read the text. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, sixteen, verse twenty-three. This is such a good verse. I don't want to. I don't want to mess it up. Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-three. First, oh, excuse me, Luke chapter twenty-two. My apologies. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Here we see a good example uh, of Satan kind of having his way uh, with Peter here. And Jesus realizes that. That idea that that Peter is going to go through hard times. That the devil uh, intends to sift him like wheat. But Jesus says, but when you turn back, strengthen the others. Now, uh, that's a good example of how uh, the Lord can use something bad that the enemy tries to do to us. And build us up and strengthen us uh, far Good. And so we see uh, some examples here in the New Testament of, 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 of this idea of, of dealing, with, dealing with the death penalty and, and what that should look like, what the punishment should be uh, for other people and how uh, God is intending to, or Jesus at least, is intending to show us that we should have some love, that we should have some compassion we see the example uh, that Paul gives, where the guy would have been guilty of the death penalty. he was to be turned over to Satan. Uh, and, and perhaps through that he was going to be repentant. Perhaps through that he was going to be uh, restored uh, as Paul, was, or excuse me, as Peter was. Uh, we can only speculate as to what would happen there, but those scriptures may give us an idea, at least a starting point. I believe when we read these Old Testament texts, we need to be careful. Because we don't want to be guilty of fulfilling the letter of the law or else we would go around killing a lot of people all the time and perhaps uh, we ourselves would be those who were being stoned. When we look at the law, we need to remember that one, God was giving uh, the Israelites instructions. One, because they didn't have any kind of governmental structure. Uh, Two, because he didn't want them to be like the other nations. He didn't want them to live like the other nations in a sinful way. Uh, So God was giving the law to them in that time for a purpose. We also need to remember that this was a law to Israel. We are not Israel. We see that Israel, uh, no matter how much God wanted them to be separate, still wanted to be like the other nations. Uh, We see in, in the case of Samuel that the Israelites come to him and they are requesting a king. They say they want a king because they want to be like the other nations. Well, they should have said, look, God is our leader. God is who we go to. We don't want to be like the other nations. But instead, there was that desire among them that they wanted to be like the other nations. But God had given them the law. God had separated them. God had given them these instructions. But I think Jesus Christ shows us a better way than the law. I think we see that in the text that we look at. Or even though the law would have commanded a death to the one who was caught in adultery, Jesus Christ calls us to something better. He calls us to something higher. He calls us to grace and to mercy and to love. And so when we see these things in the Old Testament, when we hear people say, well, this sinner needs to be put to death, look at what the Bible says. Well, we need to be careful. We need to be very careful of those things, and we need to know what Jesus Christ has freed us from and what Jesus Christ is calling us to. We need to understand that in those days, for the Israelites, they didn't have a, 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 a government over them. They didn't, When they first started out, they didn't have anyone over them guiding them, instructing them. Uh, God was guiding them and instructing them, I should say, not no one, uh, but they refused to listen to God. So how are things like that supposed to be carried out today? How is punishment supposed to be doled out in our time? Do we follow the Old Testament law, or is there a better way? Well, again, the New Testament, I believe, provides for us uh, the way that things are to be in this day and age. If you want to turn to Romans, this is the last scripture. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. How are we to deal with things today? If We saw in the passage we looked at in Exodus 21 how punishment to, was to be doled out. We saw the specific instructions for uh, this instance or that instance, how punishment was to be handed out to those who were guilty. Does God provide a way for punishment to be doled out today, and how should that be done? Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience." And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Now, that's a pretty, pretty clear text for us to look at when we see what, in, what, what, what uh, does God put in, in place for us today to govern us. Well, we have leaders. We have a government that sets the laws, that, 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 that deals with how people are to be sentenced, what is to be done. Uh, the, the government has the power to carry out wrath when it needs to. So God has put a structure for us in place today. And therefore, I don't think that it is up to us as Christians to go out and read the Old Testament and say, well, this person needs to be killed and that person needs to be killed. We show grace and mercy, not that we say that sin is okay. We never look at these things and say, well, since we're not supposed to kill them, what they're doing is okay in this day and age. Absolutely not. The text clearly tells us what is right and wrong, and that has not changed. But Jesus Christ brings grace and love. And in our day and age, I believe that it's the government that is is over, that leads and guides us, even if we don't like it, even if they don't always do the best job. It says here that government is supposed to be for the good of the people. Sadly, though, we see in our world today that there are many leaders and many governments who are not doing good to the people, who are taking advantage of their people. Praise the Lord, we live in a country that is not that bad. Regardless of what you may think of the government, some of you may say, well, we are that bad. Well, that's not a topic we're here to discuss. But what we do have to do is what God's word says. We trust those leaders that God has put in place. We follow the laws that have been put in place uh, by those that God has put in place and we try to live by those laws. And we, like Jesus Christ and like Paul, may, may need to show a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy and those that we encounter after all we ourselves are sinners after all we ourselves may be guilty of some of the very things that god calls for death for in the old testament but we haven't received death through jesus christ we've received grace let us be faithful to bring that grace to those who need to hear it and receive it as well let's pray father god we come to you tonight i thank you for these words and i pray god that something i said will will do some good, dear Lord, that you let the Holy Spirit recall some word that I said tonight, your word, not my word, to the hearts of these people. God, I just feel like I didn't do your word justice. I feel like I didn't make any sense, dear Lord. I feel like if this is kind of a, a tough thing for us to understand what went on in the Old Testament and what goes on in our world today. So God, I pray that in the ways that I fail, God, that your Holy Spirit would do the work here tonight. God, if nobody remembers a single word I said, God, let your word be in their heart, and you recall it, and you guide them, and you lead them, and you help them to discern what your word calls us to, dear Lord. God, help us never to to, to think lightly of sin. God, we don't ever want to, to think that this sin's not bad or that sin's not bad. God, help us to have a little mercy. Help us to have a little grace, because we've received a lot of mercy and a lot of grace ourselves, dear Lord. Help us to be able to to... Be faithful to submit to the governments that you have put over us, dear Lord. In every way that we can, That's not against your will and against you in any way, dear Lord. Let us be obedient to what the law calls us to in every way that we can. God, let us trust the system and the laws that have been put into place, dear Lord God. And I pray that as we think about these things, that we think about the example that we have through Jesus Christ. The love that he has shown to the very lady that we read about in Scripture who was in adultery. That he didn't give her condemnation. God, help us not to be condemning to those we encounter. God, we often want to say our sins are small, but their sins are a lot worse. And we want to go out into the world with an attitude of condemnation. But God, let us go out into the world with an attitude of grace. Not that we overlook sin, but that we deal with sin and love, dear Lord, just as Jesus Christ did by going to the cross for us. So I thank you for these words. I thank you for this night. I pray that you bless us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.